Well, welcome to the table. I'm very glad that you are here tonight, and I am very excited to be teaching. This has been a long time coming. Uh, if somebody has told you that I've been here for 20 years, that's actually not true. I've been here more like 30 or 40 years, but <laughs> don't worry about it. So, to me, questions are a really important part of life. They help us evaluate where we are. They help us evaluate who we are. And they really just get us thinking about the space that we're in right now. And we've been going through this series called Encounters with Jesus. And tonight, Jesus is going to ask a pretty interesting question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, that's an interesting question. We don't hear that very often. Or maybe you do. I don't know. I don't hear that very often. (laughs) But there's... There are some very select few times where we hear, do you love me? The first one, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. It's called a DTR talk, okay? It's Tuesday night. You just pulled up to Lakeview Aspen. You've been dating for like four or five months, and you're just like, I like her. I really like her. But does she like me? Does she love me? Your hands are sweaty. You're like, you're sitting there, it's 15 minutes early, and you're just like, I am not ready for this conversation. So that's a pretty serious one. Another one, maybe a little bit more innocent. Uh, I had one person on staff talk about this a couple weeks ago, but his young son came up to him and he said, Dad, do you love me? And of course he's, you know, grabbed him up in his arms and looked him right in the eyes and he says, of course I love you, you're my son. But it doesn't always have to be a, non, or a verbal question. I think another time that we ask this question is whenever we're in a setting like this. Maybe you've been here a couple times. Maybe you've been here a million times. But there are these moments where we want to be ourselves. We want to express ourselves. And we do these things. Maybe you crack a joke. Maybe you do something funny. Maybe you get called Jerry. Uh... And you wonder, do these people love me? (laughs) Do they love me? And luckily I know that answer is yes. But sometimes we don't know that answer. But in all these situations, and any more that you can think of, a relationship is being defined or redefined by the answer to this question. Do you love me? It can mean a new relationship that's just starting. It could be a deeper relationship, moving further along, further ahead. Or, it could mean no relationship. But the conversation has to happen. You have to ask this question sometimes. Do you love me? So tonight, in this encounter with Jesus in John 21, he's going to ask this question of one of his disciples. One of his most famous disciples, Someone that we like to make fun of a lot. His name's Peter, and we'll get there. But I just want you to have this question in your head. Do you love me? So we're going to be in John 21, but I actually want you to turn to Luke chapter 5 first, because that's where we're going to start, in verse 1. I love that sound. Page is rustling. So we're going to be Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. I'm just going to read it. And be paying attention to this. So this is earlier on in Luke's gospel. 
probably really early on in Jesus' ministry. And uh, if you have headings in your Bible, it probably says something about Jesus calling his first disciples. So this is what it says. As a crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. Now, if you don't know where that is, it's the Sea of Galilee. So just, it'll come, up, come back up again. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on you will be catching people. Verse 11. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. So this passage in Luke is going to have a lot to do with this passage in John 21, if you want to go ahead and turn there. A couple more things before we get into John 21. At the end of John 20, in verses 30 and 31, John says something that's kind of interesting. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John gets to chapter 20, Jesus is risen, and he says, Okay, you have all the information that you need to follow Jesus. So why do we have chapter 21? Why is chapter 21 here? Well, there's a really interesting answer to that. Because John and the rest of the disciples know that belief is not enough. Belief is not enough. Something has to follow belief. And if you've ever read any of the other Gospels, all of them end with a call to follow Jesus. All of them. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Mark 16, 8, Luke 24, 46 through 48. And I'd really encourage you to go read those after we get done. And John is no different. He knows that he's given the people who are reading this book enough to believe, but he knows that's not enough. Something has to follow. A response must come. But John's flavor is a little bit more personal, so buckle up. Okay, so let's jump in. Verse 1 through 3. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. There's that name again. It's still the Sea of Galilee, so don't get confused. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So here we encounter the disciples, and they're not in Jerusalem, they're in Galilee. Now, 
Last week, they were in Jerusalem, so why are they here? Why are they in Galilee? Well, in Matthew 28.10, Jesus tells Mary, Go to the other disciples and tell them to go to Galilee to wait for me. So that's where we find them here, and they're waiting. And they're not doing a very good job of waiting, as we can see. And we don't do a good job of waiting. And as we saw in Luke 5, the thing that they were doing before Jesus called them was fishing. So what do they decide to do while they're waiting, while they're twiddling their thumbs? They decide to go fishing. But the disciples themselves don't decide. One particular of them decides to go fishing. Simon Peter. Simon Peter. Oh, what a guy. What a guy. So why? Why do they decide to go fishing? Jesus told them to wait. And usually when Jesus says to do something, you should do it and not do something else. But the simplest answer is that they didn't know what else to do. Jesus is risen. He's appeared to them. But now what? Now what do we do? But for Peter, there's probably more going on here. And maybe for the other disciples. He probably didn't feel as if he was worthy of being a disciple anymore. And we'll get to that. But if you're paying attention, just like in Luke 5, They've been fishing all night. Professional fishermen have been fishing all night on their home turf, so to speak. They haven't caught anything. They're pretty good fishermen, apparently. Really good. The two times we see them fishing in the Bible, they do a terrible job of it. Maybe that's why Jesus decided to call them, because he knew they weren't good fishermen. Okay, so verses 4 through 6. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast a net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. So here we are, disciples have been fishing all night long, they've caught nothing, and then this guy just shows up on the shore, just rubbing salt in the wound. Hey, you guys caught any fish? No, we haven't caught any fish. And I could imagine how frustrating that would have been for the disciples. Because here they are. They should have been waiting. They go to fish. They don't catch anything. But they don't know it's Jesus. But this would have probably have been just a regular occurrence for them. So they don't make anything of it. But Jesus tells them, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Just like he did in Luke chapter 5. So what do they do? Okay, this guy may know what he's talking about. I mean, I guess we don't know what we're doing. So they do it. And they catch so many fish, they cannot haul a net into their boats. Just crazy. Okay, verses 7 and 8. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him. For he had taken it off and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. So, finally, one of the disciples realizes what's going on. And John says, Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter, who is not to be outdone in enthusiasm and theatrics, uh, decides not to wait. He's just going to jump in. 
he jumps in and he swims 100 yards to shore. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to swim 100 yards. It's not fun, okay? It's really difficult. But in Luke chapter 5, Peter's reaction was to tell Jesus to go away. Lord, please leave. I'm a sinner. I'm not fit to be in your presence. But here in John 21, Peter's response is to get as close to Jesus as fast as he can. Because Jesus never does useless things. Jesus didn't just have them catch all these fish because he could. Because he could, but there's a point. So in verses 9-14, through 14, I'm not going to read through them. But basically what happens is the disciples, they get to the shore. They haul in the nets and they have a nice little breakfast with Jesus on the shore. And they're kind of weirdly... We don't know if we know it's Jesus, but we don't know it's Jesus. So we're not going to say anything because that might be a little weird because Jesus has a habit of like kind of catching us in what we say. So they decide to be quiet, which is probably a good idea. But at some point, Jesus asks Peter, hey, let's go for a walk. We don't have that recorded, but we know that's what happened. So in verse 15, we get to the, the meat of this passage. Verse 15 says this. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Two things to pick out here. One, Jesus does not call Peter, Peter. He calls him Simon. And earlier on in the Gospels, Jesus himself had renamed Simon Peter, which means the rock. But here, he calls him Simon. But, I mean, he's just asking him if he loves him. So, I mean, that's not like super weird. I mean, Jesus asks that of people a lot. But then Jesus says, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And that's strange. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 16. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Okay, now he's asked him a second time, so we should take notice. If Jesus does something once, okay, twice, important, and uh, on and on. But the same question in the same answer. In the first, he asked him, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than anything else? And here, he doesn't have to repeat that. He just asks him, do you love me? But he doesn't say, feed my lambs. He says, shepherd my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. Hmm, it's very interesting. Okay, verse 17. It's all going to come together. Like this. He asks him the third time. The third time. Not a third time. The third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. And now it all comes together. This entire encounter makes sense when Jesus asks this third question. Because earlier on, maybe just days or weeks before this, Jesus reclined with Peter at a table. And he said, At the end of this night, all of you will have 
deserted me. All of you will have betrayed me. And Peter, again, enthusiastic, looks at Jesus and says, No way. No way. Though all of them will fall away, I will stay. I will die with you, Jesus. I will die with you. And Jesus, with all the love and grace in his heart, looks at Peter and says, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me three times. And we know that that's what happened. And not only that, we know that when Peter denied Jesus the third time, he looked Jesus right in the eyes as he did it. And he went and wept bitterly. Peter is having probably his biggest moment of failure in his life unearthed by his Lord. And maybe he hoped that Jesus would let it go, but I bet a part of him knew that they had to deal with this. And Jesus knew, Jesus knew that if Simon, if Peter was going to be the rock, they had to deal with this. And of course, Simon's not going to answer no. He says yes, emphatically, you know that I love you, Lord. And Jesus says yes. Jesus never denies Peter's love for him. But he does say, feed my sheep. Now why is Jesus telling an uneducated, well, probably was educated a little bit, but this fisherman from Galilee, feed my sheep. He's not a shepherd. Because Jesus is saying, Simon Peter, if you love me, if you're going to follow me, you're going to take care of my sheep. I, the true shepherd, am making you a co-shepherd, a little shepherd, under my authority, and that will be your job. And so these three phrases, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs, all encompass this act of shepherding. So Jesus then goes on in verses 18 through 19. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told them, follow me. Follow me. So not only is Jesus commissioning Peter as a shepherd, but he's telling him, Peter, if you truly love me and if you truly follow me, this is what your life is going to look like. You had freedom. You could do whatever you wanted when you were young, but now, now you're going to follow me into a hard life of suffering. And we know from history, you can literally look this up. It's in Eusebius. I don't know which book, but if you want to write that down, we know that Peter was martyred upside down on a cross. His hands were tied and he was led where he did not want to go. And of course, John knows this because he's writing this after that happened. But Jesus is saying, Peter, do you remember? Do you remember when you said that you're going to die for me? And then you didn't? Well, guess what? You get your chance. If you're going to follow me, you're going to get your chance to die. But it's not going to glorify you. It's going to glorify me. And finally, verses 20 through 22. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. And that's just John, the one who wrote this book. So Apparently, Peter and Jesus are just walking along the beach. John's following them. 
It's a little strange. Maybe he was writing it down. I don't know. The one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, What is that to you? As for you, follow me. So Jesus has just commissioned Peter and said, Follow me. And then what does Peter do? He pulls a Peter and he turns around and he looks at John and he says, Wait a second, what, is he going to die too? Like, is he going to have to do the same things that I'm doing? And Jesus probably shook his head in love and grace. And he said, no, Peter, look at me. You're going to follow me. You're going to follow me. My plan for him is different than my plan for you. So follow me. Follow me. It's not enough just to believe. We have to love Jesus above all if we want to follow Him at all. And as we go to halftime, I want you to think through this question. Am I willing to love Jesus more than anything else in my life? Hear my voice clap twice. I've always wanted to do that. (laughs) Okay. Man, there's no, I mean, there's no way to transition out of that. So I'm sorry. It's just going to get really serious again. So (laughs) I can't, I can't do anything about it. Okay. So, okay. So at the halftime break, I ask you this question. Hopefully you thought about it. If you didn't, it's fine. That was very entertaining. Thank you, Alec and Drew. Um, But this is a question that I asked you. Are you willing to love Jesus more than anything else in your life. And in my opinion, this is one of the most important questions we can think through as human beings. And I want actually to share a story with you about somebody that I know who had an encounter like this, like Peter had with Jesus, where Jesus asked him, do you love me? And before you freak out, this person gave me permission to tell this story, so I'm not just like throwing it out there to you all. So this guy, he grew up in church, you know, like a lot of us, maybe you didn't, I don't know. He went to Sunday school, he went to VBS, you know, he was there on Wednesday night. He might have been there Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday too. Um, But he was the Christian kid. His parents were Christians, his family was Christian. He got baptized when he was super young. He went to summer camp, went to youth quake, uh, and he volunteered and served as he got older. And this was like, if you think of like the model kid, like he was the model kid. He's nice, he was kind, he was quiet. Everyone just like, oh, you're so cute. Oh my gosh. I wish my son was like you. <laughs> And everyone thought he was just this innocent kid all the way through high school. But in reality, there was something that wasn't right. And he would tell you this, that even after he got baptized, even after he decided to follow Jesus, there was something that just wasn't right in his life. He had this hole in his heart that he just couldn't fill. Something was wrong. And it was confusing to him because he knew everything. He knew everything. He knew the Bible pretty well. He knew all the stories, you know, 
David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den, Jesus feeding the 5,000. He knew not to read Revelation, which is really important. <laughs> Don't read Revelation without, without a lot of help. <laughs> but the thing was that he was just confused. He didn't know what to do. And everyone thought this about him, that he really loved Jesus. That he really loved Jesus. That if Jesus were to ask him, do you love me? He would say yes. But in reality, he would say, I didn't love Jesus. I love myself. I love myself. And even more so than that, no one knew that throughout almost his entire middle school, high school, and a little bit of college, that he was struggling with pornography. They struggled with self-image. That he struggled with being loved and known. He had this giant hole in his heart. And he didn't know how to fill it. And so he went down the list, as most of us probably do. Started with sports. Sports didn't work. Started with comfort. Comfort didn't work. And success. He was really good in school. He was really smart. Got good grades. He even had a lot of knowledge. He was really smart. And he even he tried distractions at the end. Video games, Netflix, YouTube, relationships. If you think of it, he tried it. He tried all of these things to fill this hole in his heart. Because he just couldn't figure out, I follow Jesus, I know all these things, I believe all these things. But I still, I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I'm missing something. And actually, that's when I met him. We met here at the table. Actually, in the same seats that you guys are sitting in right now. I was actually really hoping that we were inside tonight so I could say that because it would have been weird outside because that's not true. Uh, that would have been a lie. I'm not going to lie from the stage. <laughs> but the first couple of years that he was in college, we became best friends. And he would tell you that college was really hard because he came to the table. He went to Sunnybrook. And he began to be challenged. He didn't actually know everything, which for him was like, wait a second, I don't know everything? Like, that's crazy. I feel like I thought I knew everything. But he wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to leave his sin behind. He wanted to have this hole in his heart filled. But it just like, something wasn't fitting. It was two steps forward, one step back. Two steps back, one step forward. And the reality is, and he would tell you this now, he couldn't follow Jesus because he loved himself more than he loved Jesus. And in reality, he was following himself. He was trusting himself. He was believing in himself, and it wasn't getting him anywhere. And then one night during his junior year, it all came to a head. And in a very bizarre and strange set of circumstances, Jesus asked him, Do you love me? Do you love me Jared, because this guy is not just some guy, this guy's me. I lived that story, and I've sat where you all sit right now, and I've heard the teaching, I've been there, and I still had to answer this question for myself. Do I love Jesus more than anything else in my life? And that night, that night broke me because I realized what I keep telling you, that I love myself more than I loved anything else. 
No matter what I did, I could not fill this hole in my heart. And maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. This pursuit of more, this pursuit of something, something has to fill me up. But it doesn't. And so you keep working and chasing. You work harder. You get smarter. You get more friends. You do whatever it takes. And at the end of the day, you get home and you lay your head down on that pillow and you think, this can't be it. This can't be all that there is in life. But on that night, I said yes. Not because it was true, but because I wanted it to be true. I wanted to love Jesus more than anything else in my life. And deep down, I knew that Jesus was the only one who could fill me. Now, if you don't know who Jesus is, let me break it down for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God created everything, and it was good. And He made us, He made every single one in this room in His image, to bear His image, to go into the earth and to bring this beautiful creation everywhere. And we broke it. We broke it. And no longer could we bear this image that we were made in. So we walked away. And a long story short, God in His grace sent His Son, who is 100% God and 100% man, and His name is Jesus. And He sent Him so that we could be in right relationship with God. He sent Him so that this hole that was in our hearts could be filled because God is the only thing that can fill that hole in your heart. And I stand here tonight to tell you that I believe that and I know that to be true because I lived that story in my life. And I don't know where each and every one of you are in this room. I know some of you well. Some of you I've never seen before. Really glad you're here. Really glad you're here. Hopefully meet you come up afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. But I know this. I know for all of us tonight, we have a choice. We have this opportunity to answer this question. Do I love Jesus more than anything else in my life? Because He is calling all of us to Himself. Do not mistake me. Everyone in here is called to follow Jesus, whether you feel like it or not. Because only then do we find life. And just like Peter, I won't lie to you. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But it's worth it. It's worth it. And I, I stand here tonight to beg you, each and every one of you, to stop. To stop pursuing yourself. To stop pursuing this selfish ambition that's only going to lead you to death. And you may have a successful life. I know a lot of people who have had successful lives, who have had everything they've wanted. A beautiful wife, a big house, a great family, billionaires, millionaires. And it wasn't enough. People who have got to the end of their lives and realized, I missed it. Don't miss it tonight. Don't miss it tonight. Jesus is the one who you've been waiting for. The one who you've been looking for. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And when he rose from the grave, when he rose from the grave, he validated that. 
Jesus also said, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if you're here tonight and you feel heavy laden, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Because guys, there isn't any time to waste. If you keep thinking, you know what? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe when I get my life together. Well, guess what? Peter didn't have his life together. None of us have our lives together. If that's what you're waiting for, leave it behind. Because Jesus came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Because the well have no need of a physician. And I want to leave you with this. Mark eight thirty four through 38 Calling the crowd along with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, this, excuse me, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You guys were meant, I was meant, to live for so much more, to live this extraordinary life that Jesus is calling us to. But have you lost yourself? Have you lost yourself in this pursuit? Tonight's the night to turn around. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this room of people, for everyone that you have brought into this room tonight. And I know that not one of them is here by accident. And Lord, I pray for all of us that you would help us to ask this question and to answer it. That we would love you more than anything else in our lives. And Lord, that we would follow you. That we would not wait. That we would not wait for another day, but instead we would choose even tonight to follow you. And Lord, I just ask that your glory would be made known through our lives. That you would be honored and glorified in everything that we do. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So this is the first time you've heard about the gospel. Come talk to us. Come talk to Rachel. She's standing up right now. (laughs) Come talk to Alec. Come talk to Drew, Scott, Randy, Aaliyah. Come talk to me. But please, please, don't waste this opportunity. Thanks, guys. Sorry, I didn't mean to catch you off guard.